and welcome to the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast. I'm Addie Holzman. And I'm Haley Kava. We're friends, pelvic floor physical therapists, moms, and occasional hot messes who are here for real, uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health. And because our conversations are uncensored, they're likely not appropriate for little ears. Please remember our disclaimer. Although we both are licensed physical therapists, we are not your physical therapist. Yeah, anyways. And our content is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team for individualized advice, diagnoses, and treatment. Of our um, most recent, all the episodes that have come out, the Blushing Bushies was the most popular episode. We share all of our embarrassing stories. (laughs) Yeah. And that's kind of what we do you know like no shame in the pelvic floor game i only have so many stories so <laughs> i need to start creating yeah. more <laughs> i don't I was, I was trying to think like what else i think a lot of people really resonate with with like prolapse stories because i know we've talked about prolapse on other episodes but i just like get so many questions and so many dms about people who maybe just had a baby feel something, see something, a bulge, whatever. And they're just like completely devastated. And like, I get that. But also, I just get so like pissed off mm-hmm. that providers are telling diagnosing this um, at like four weeks postpartum. And it's like, okay, we don't need to like put a hard label on this yet we don't need to tell people that this is only going to get worse at this point um like that's like saying someone who sprains their ankle very badly is that they're never gonna like run properly again so now that that nugget is in their brain there's always going to be a a change in how we hold it you know oh i stepped my foot oh now i've got this weak ankle i've got this bad ankle and then now we're we're describing a a very important part of our body as like not good you know or it's ruined it's never going to be the same it's broken and I just like hate that so bad I just like hate it um did you see there was an article that got posted by the APTA women's health section I I don't know if it, it was like published some I think it was published in the APTA like women's health whatever it was like oh examining pelvic organ prolapse through a biotensegrity model have you been like hearing about biotensegrity yeah and, like, there was a speaker on it i think i shared i shared the thing with you like the login for that free she basically explains it she's i think she's in europe okay. like i just my thing is like yeah no shit yeah like we have muscles. Did it take us this far to get to make that realization? Like, what we learned in physical therapy school, is it not? We have muscles. We have fascia. We have soft tissue. About the fascia, though, I feel like fascia is often forgot about. Like I, we talked about in school how when you challenge muscles, it challenges fascia, and that increases the the tension, the whole thing. That's why we do both like isometrics, concentrics, eccentrics. That's why we do all of those things like co-contraction and like I don't think that should be earth shattering to physical therapists so here's my beef with a lot of traditional prolapse protocols is one 
the belly breathing, which I understand belly breathing has its place. Like if you're trying to relax, great. But when you're teaching people how to work out that have prolapse and you're relaxing your abs that support your pelvis, that share so much fascial connections with the front of your pelvic floor, that is not correct. You are not understanding the pressure system. And I can fully belly breathe and do keep a tense pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Like I can bulge yeah. that belly out better than anybody, and my butt can still be clenched. Yeah, and so and I, and I can bulge in the front of my pelvic floor when I do that. That's not awesome. lengthening. That's not lengthening my pelvic floor. No, I actually. This is funny. You talked. You said that because I was looking at um, an old Julie Weeb ultrasound example of chest breathing versus belly breathing, and the belly breathing showed more pelvic floor lengthening. So I think that's the basis of a lot of that. However, I feel like we as a profession make people afraid of pressure. It's like, no, you need pressure. Like that's how you're going to lift your kids. And that's, you have to learn how to, you know, increase it when need be and decrease it when need be and disperse it. So my most recent, like blow my mind prolapse client had a level two to three prolapse. She had already been diagnosed. I did zero internal work with her. She had made a comment that her previous PT, it was just not helpful for her. And because of some birth birth trauma, she, she would just tense up when she would do internal stuff. So I was like, okay, well then let's just skip that and try other stuff. So I did rib mobs on her for 10, 15 minutes, probably. She walked out on her very first appointment. She walked out of there with no heaviness. She came back to me for a second appointment and we did rib mobs again. And then like added some exercises, taught her how to breathe into her butt so that you're not breathing into that front of the pelvic floor that we're trying to like, you know, help, you know, not tighten up, but help um, engage better. And she had pain-free sex with her husband in the first time in five months right? And like with no symptoms, she would text me at the end of the day. She's like, it's five o'clock. I've just cleaned the house. I've done all this stuff. I have no heaviness right now. That's all. Uh, no internal work. It was rib, rib mobility. Because the pelvic floor is the victim. <laughs> like it's the victim. Stop victim blaming. Yeah. <laughs> like right? I was trying to explain to one of my clients last week, I was like, you know, who as actually an OT. So it was like familiar with upper body stuff. And I was like, you know, when people get a really tight upper trap, you know, and you could get your Theragun out and you could blah, 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 And oh yeah, feels great. Feels great. And then literally the first time you move your arm again, upper trap, you haven't given that scapula and that shoulder a thorax a foundation to rest on and the muscles to an awareness of where to be and how to do you aren't you're not changing anything but how many people look at an upper trap and go oof we need to hone in on your breathing strategies because a diaphragm is not breathing for you and you're starting to recruit your accessory muscles and they're not designed to breathe 20,000 plus times a day for you like super painful dry needling is obviously the fix right and i dry needle i know how to dry needle needle, you know i barely dry needle it barely because i don't need to yeah 
like occasionally there's like a pinpoint thing that like needs symptom resolution, but like it's like I just mm-mm. did thinking about ribs. Like I just did that reel about how impactful the ribs are. Like if there's one thing I could teach every person in this whole world that would have the most impact, I truly believe it's rib mobility. Well, I have PTs are like, or people are like, oh, what PRI class should I take? What PRI class should I take? I'm like, take respiration. Learn those techniques. Is a take respiration. Learn those techniques, <laughs> and you know that's it. <laughs> like, don't get don't get caught up in the nuances. Maybe of some of the tricep low trap stuff that's maybe confusing you right away. But like, yes, learn about the diaphragm. If you learn about the diaphragm and the rib cage, like, yeah, it's so because that is the core system. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one thing that you're constantly doing from birth to death is breathing. So if you're breathing up into your ears and you can't like use that diaphragm to breathe and your ribs aren't moving, that affects the pressure in your system and the pelvic floor. Yeah, like to just like it frustrates me to just assume that like, oh, we like I can just cue people in onto those pelvic floor muscles and they're just going to lengthen and they're just going to contract better. It's like missing it. It's missing it. It's not it's not deep enough you haven't gone deep enough i've had clients before where they did not feel that pelvic floor move with their breath like initially and then we'll do rib mobs and then we'll do the same exercises again and they're like oh i feel it like i know what you're talking about now Mm -hmm. and honestly i feel like once they get it in coordination with their whole body yeah it's like we don't need to do that much right I barely ever do like more than one or two internal sessions with people. Yeah. Or like, but, or even just in, in, in general, like, in, like how many times on average would you see a patient? Do you think? Less than five. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I only have very few patients that I've seen more than five times. And that's like, because like, if they buy a package, they just like buy the four visit package. <laughs> I don't need to start doing that until like, because i i also really guilty of like okay here's this is day one we've got all this information we've got all this stuff this is gonna all this stuff is gonna help you feel better like let's keep in touch but like let me know i know i do that all the time which is like like, great bad business if you're trying to make money (laughs) but like I don't care because money doesn't motivate me. I want yeah, you to feel right. better. So oh, if I like, can do that in two visits, awesome. I'm going to do yeah. that in two visits. And, <laughs> and I honestly would feel bad telling someone it's going to take like, oh, you need to buy a 10 visit package because this is going to take us 10 visits. Like that literally w- makes me uncomfortable to say. Cause well, like, visits because six, I know it like, won't. I don't know what we're going to do because you're, you're doing good. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. So I was thinking about this. And how our perception of that PT twice a week for six to eight weeks, how money driven that concept is and how inner, like just intergrained in our medical system and how disgusting it is. Cause why, unless you're post-op, right? Post-op, great. Like sure. if you yeah. total knee, total hip, like ACL, you need like more visits cause it's, it's different. But we're even talking- how many of those, even how many of those post-op people were ready to go at six weeks, like, Oh, you always then no. be on six weeks. Yeah, we need to take those visits and span them out. Because I always tell people, I'm like, even if I don't even see people weekly, usually, maybe on the front end, oh. but like, 
because yeah. I'm like your body needs time to adapt and learn these movements. So you coming back to me in a couple days isn't, we're just going to repeat what we did here. Like, but that's, I think part of the cash model or self pay is like empowering them. Cause you won't, you're limited. They're not going to come think, for twice a week for eight weeks. I also think what you and I do um, that is different than how so many others do it is that we are teaching. Yeah. Like we are taking everything that we know and teaching it to you. Like, so now you know everything I know and how it pertains specifically to your body. Now, now you have the information. Like I'm sometimes blown away by how much I, like, and we're talking and we're talking, we're talking, we're talking. Like I'm trying not to fire hose you with information, but I want you to really understand why we're doing what we're doing. Why this exercise, like why this exercise is important. And like why you want to do this exercise and like that versus like do your exam. Okay. Here's a sheet of clams. Here's a sheet of glute bridges. Here's a sheet of TA breathing. There you go. And it's like, well, what is that going to help? Is that going to help? Can you explain that a little bit more to me? Because like blanket, anything is just bullshit. But what's the point of the exercises to learn movements or positions to start incorporating in your daily life so if you don't know why you're doing those exercises or what they're doing for you or how to engage or what the how to make that link they're not going to do anything for you so yeah i totally agree you're going to continue to move in a movement pattern that you've had your whole life so like sometimes yeah the exercises are weird or sometimes they feel difficult or they're complicated because we're trying to change you break your pattern break <laughs> we're your trying pattern. to break your habits we're trying to, yeah and it's just like and that's not for everybody like that amount of like thinking and processing and understanding isn't for every patient but that's what we offer and I think that's like the point of being on social media and doing a podcast so that that people who are maybe interested in seeing us or working with us know they know what they're getting into what you're getting you're getting like you're getting my undivided attention and undivided desire to figure you out and help you understand your body and then help you come up with a plan to get you feeling better yeah right and like i tell my kids when they're like sad like someone says something to them or doesn't like them i'm like there is no person in this entire world that 100% of people like. Just like there's no PT in this entire world that 100% of people are going to click with or benefit from your approach, you know? So you just like attract your niche and go with it. Yeah. And I think we're both doing that pretty well. Perpetually just so happy that I know PRI. Yeah, yeah. I just think seeing the whole body and I... I am so, so, so grateful that I fell into PRI so early in my career because that one year that I did kind of regular PT, I mean, I worked at the hospital, um, but that's like totally different. Like when you're doing acute care, like it's just pure mobility. Um, But when I did one year of outpatient and I felt like I was just fumbling, like, I'm like, I don't know, your knee hurts. Okay. Let's just like do some hamstring and stretch this. Like it was so just throw at anything I could think of. Yeah. And I got so frustrated. (laughs) 
I think that's why so many, I mean, I want, I didn't want to be a physical therapist anymore. Yeah. I like was, I was in a lot of pain. I was frustrated with how many patients I needed to see. I was frustrated with the like sheer amount of typing I had to do. Like I was writing an essay for every single goddamn patient. But like, and it's still kind of like that. Like charting in the U S is like way lengthier than it is in Canada for sure. But like, I was like, I think I'm going to go into like healthcare administration because this is, and which would have destroyed me because healthcare administration is, (laughs) um, but I was like, at least I'm going to be getting paid, you know, like at least I can make six figures because And I can work my ass off all day and all night and you're still paying me shit for, you know, I don't have a doctorate. I have a master's degree, but still like I'm busting my ass for like not that good of money. And so I don't know. I don't know if I ever told, I know you know the story, but how I even got into PRI, like I, in high school, well, in middle school, I started having just chronic knee pain, like just and I was, I was a runner. I did basketball. I did track. I did volleyball. I kind of did everything. I loved sport. But by the time I got to be a sophomore, junior in high school, I was popping like four to six ibuprofen before every single basketball game just to make it through. And my knee was so, but there was nothing wrong with my knee. I didn't mm-hmm. pull or tear anything. Uh, x-rays looked fine. MRI looked fine, but they did exploratory an exploratory scope and like made some bullshit like oh we took out some scar tissue that should help (laughs) so like and then my knee it didn't do anything my knee was still like the same and then a year later I went to a PRI therapist in Minneapolis and two visits and I've never had knee pain since like amazing I was like holy shit like and I already knew I wanted to be a PT at that point but I'm like I need to learn this stuff because this is like This makes sense. And I remember her teaching me like the shifting and like all these weird exercises with a ball and a one inch book under my foot and all this stuff. And it made zero sense, but I felt better and I didn't care. I was like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I think back to how I did things before. And I think I felt confident in like the ability to differentially diagnose and like understand joint mobility and soft tissue stuff and like all of that but but really looking globally um I think is something that most PTs struggle with because like okay uh the person has knee pain let's look at their single leg balance let's look at, and like let's look at them walk but it's really but like evaluating the fact that they need more right trunk rotation would have never come into my mind, it's like, oh, maybe their knee is hurting because when they walk, their trunk doesn't turn as much one way as it turns the other. And so that's increasing torque here. And like, oh, like I get so expression and decompression. Like they're not side body opening to like let go of that side. Their center mass isn't like going left right. So so that stuff makes me so excited. Like I get so excited about like diving into someone's whole thing. Like, so yeah. that's where we feel that disconnect when we're like reading these things on Facebook or whatever. It's like very specific, like manual muscle testing is like three out of five and this and this and like this palpation is whatever and this. And it's just like, it doesn't matter. Like, why, yeah. how are they moving? Like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. So like when I, yeah, like the Facebook groups that are like, or pelvic floor physical therapists that are like, I can't get someone 
to contract their pelvic floor like at all like i can't feel a contraction and like on the table <laughs> i want to be like are they literally just peeing their pants constantly and just pooping their pants constantly no okay well then they have something there's something something so there's something there so get outside of their goddamn fucking pelvis it's not their fucking pelvic floor yeah like at least work on their hip, you know? Like, okay, if you're, like, slow to understand this stuff and you think I'm insane to say that maybe they need to stretch their neck, at least give them hip exercises because we know hip rotation and hip rotation control and strength actually is a better predictor for functional continence than pelvic floor strength. So yeah. let's at least start there if we're, if we're going to, like, <laughs> take the long road to figuring out what's going on. So lately I've been describing to my clients, look at the anus. See how tight that is? <laughs> like it is made to be closed 99% of the time for most people, right? Like, and I was like, that's not an accurate statistic. This is <laughs> most then, of the time it's closed. <laughs> and then look at the vaginal opening. It is created to let a watermelon out of there. It is structurally very different and needs help to support itself so if you take this pelvis and like you know very very simple example tilt it forward right you've lost your ab control but now look at where that pressure is going it's going right down on the vaginal opening let's get that pelvis more neutral and learn to breathe into your butt so that whole pelvic floor distributes distribute the pressure pressure and like now the whole pelvic floor can like take some pressure and that poor vagina is not just getting hammered on yeah. we talk about yeah like so this buzzword of biotensegrity like yeah no shit if you are have so much tension in one spot like we're not going to be able to expand there if and then we have a literally a baby just came out of a vagina well we're going to take the path of least resistance there right so we need to set up the system so that we can redistribute that pressure and stop injuring, like stop the injury yep. from happening. Yeah. Once you wrap your mind around that kind of thinking, I think clients are like, okay, like that does make sense. <laughs> That's, you know, yeah. abs are a good thing as long as you're not clenching them. Um, yeah. yeah. Abs, a good thing if abs inner thighs, like inner thighs are so important hamstrings are so important let's stop stretching them can we stop stretching inner thighs so goddamn much can we stop stretching hamstrings all together just stop <laughs> like can we just all collectively agree if you're listening to this right now don't stretch your hamstrings anymore do you like, ever do the straight leg raise with clients and like yeah, show everyone. them like where they go and then yeah. have them roll their pelvis back to get more quote unquote, yeah. in a neutral position. And then their hamstring literally doubles its range of motion. I had one like that, a uh, client like that this week. And I'm like, see, it's your pelvic position. That's allowing that. Yeah, hamstring. You don't need to stretch those fucking goddamn hamstrings. <laughs> and so like, there are sometimes cases where like yeah, people are. are in performing arts or whatever, and they require that amount of mobility then we probably also need to work on their control in those outer ranges. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are unique circumstances. But if you can touch the floor, like if you can bend over and touch the floor. But even if you can't, is it your hamstrings or is it the inability to expand oh. the back of your back right. with an inhale well, and let go of the back? Right. And if you can't touch the floor, you actually probably also need to stre strengthen your hamstrings. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, because sometimes you'll strengthen the hamstrings when they're limited and they actually get more mobility because mm-hmm. you've changed the pelvic position. Position, the position of the foundation. Fired up here. <laughs> know your bush. Love your bush. Spread the bush you love. communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page, Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast, as well as our email account, which is Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast at gmail.com. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe, comment and share all the bushy love. It's probably pretty obvious that our episodes are edited and produced by Addie and myself. (laughs) And our music is provided by Blockhead. I don't have a bra on, by the way. Do you have Um, a bra on? Are we braless? I do, do, but it's like not really doing anything. (laughs) I was like, thank God this is not in a visual arena because I'm in my moo with no bra and I'm pretty sure my... I have raccoon eyes with my mascara. All right. So let's look into like apparel. I think like a fanny pack with a little that bush. Would be with- bomb. How many people have a fanny pack with their stuff on it? Like nobody. Everyone has coffee oh, no, cups. But and I think that would be, I think that would be. I was also thinking grippy socks, but with our Ooh. like a logo or a picture in the grips. Okay. <gasps> is that Robert? Look at him to do his forehead. He bonked his forehead. Oh man. Are you walking now? Yes. He still crawls. I feel like for his like primary mode of transport, but he's choosing yeah. walking more. <laughs> Smile. <laughs> it never gets old. Um, hey Cam. How are you? Hi. I think we found a pair of your socks the other day in Elsie's room. Oh. Yeah, that's alright. I found a new shirt. You got new shoes? (gasps) New shoes? Ooh, that's exciting. What did you get those for? Um, Because the other ones are hard to get on. Yeah, because the other ones were kind of hard to get on. Yeah. Awesome.